Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this latest Cosmos in You podcast. If you're coming back, Thank you for returning. And if this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope you all had a wonderful new year. This is our first podcast of 2016, and I am looking forward to many more great episodes this year. It's been just such a joy to be a part of this podcast and get to interview these amazing, amazing people and to hear from each of you. Um, So many of you have reached out and told me about the impact it's had on you and what you've learned. And I just I cherish all of those messages. And also thank you to each of you who has put a review in iTunes. I cannot tell you what a difference it makes to help people discover this podcast and learn more about uh, the nature of reality and all this great information people are putting out there. So I really appreciate um, those reviews. So on to today's episode I'm very excited about. Uh, Today we have Dr. Shamini Jan, who is the founder and director of the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, which exists to evolve the scientific understanding and real-world application of consciousness and healing practices. So this is so individuals and societies are empowered with the knowledge and tools to ignite their healing potential and thus lead more healthy, fulfilling lives. I mean, she and I really have a very much an aligned vision um, for what we want to bring into the world. She is doing it through scientific research and bringing all these great people, and I'm doing it through interviewing them and uh, bringing the word out to the public. Um, Shamini obtained her bachelor's in neuroscience and behavior from Columbia University and her PhD from the SDSU and UC San Diego joint doctoral program in clinical psychology. She conducted her clinical residency at the La Jolla VA Hospital at UC San Diego and her postdoctoral fellowship at the UCLA Division of Cancer Prevention and Control Research. She has won numerous awards from scientific societies and lectures on these topics in varied venues. She is also an assistant professor in psychiatry and UC San Diego in at UC San Diego and is an active member of the UC San Diego Center for Integrative Medicine. So long story short, this woman knows what she's talking about. Um, so in this episode, we discuss the four steps to follow to begin the healing process. We discuss the difference between healing and curing, which I personally did not know the difference before this conversation. We talk about the power of belief and the studies around the power of belief. So incredibly fascinating. Um, and, and finally, how to identify which alternative healing modality is right for you and your loved ones. I know that is something that I've always been very perplexed by. Where do you even begin? Is it yoga? Is it meditation? Is it hands-on healing? Is it um, herbs? Is it diet? Is it exercise? And which path and which practitioners? And there's just so many questions around it. And she really helps clarify all this. So um, I'm excited for you to hear that. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome, Shamini. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Suzanne. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And what I'd love to do is have you start by telling us a bit about your background, your journey, and what brought you to where you are today. Sure. Um, Well, you know, I'm East Indian. I was raised um, here in the U.S. I was born and raised in South Carolina, actually. And so 
uh, one thing that I always noticed was um, how interesting it was to bridge worlds. And I'd, I'd say that's kind of been a theme of my life in many ways. So, you know, as an East Indian and growing up in, in the Jan tradition, um, kind of similar to my last name, that's a kind of a philosophy. I was exposed to a lot of different ways of thinking about um, the world and spirituality than my Baptist Christian friends who I went to church with. And it was really interesting to me to kind of see how some of these teachings were, in fact, more similar than different. And I was always really curious about, you know, some of the things that were written in these books that I would read, the Vedic books and, and the Jan books about um, spirituality. And they would even talk about physiology and they would talk about things like meditation and yoga and how they affected the body. And, um, you know, I'm also the daughter of a scientist. So I was very curious to know whether those things were really legitimate, the things that were in those books. And I think because of that curiosity, it really led me to um, to study neuroscience. And so I did that at Columbia University, started off in cognitive neuroscience, and then gradually realized I was looking for something that was a little more systems-oriented um, than cognitive neuroscience was then back in the 90s. So I found myself in the field of psychoneuroimmunology, where I did my PhD in that research um, in the joint doctoral program of clinical psychology here in San Diego. And using those tools, I actually started investigating some of you know what are called here in the West holistic practices or Eastern practices, um, which are now, of course, no longer just Eastern practices. Um, they're global practices, things like meditation. I studied that and even things like hands-on healing uh, modalities. And really through all of that work and seeing the effects that some of these modalities had on patients and wanting to understand from a scientific level how these types of practices had their effects is really kind of led me to where I am today. Great. And if you can, tell me a bit more about where you are today. Well, I'm the founding director for a nonprofit collaborative accelerator called the Consciousness and Healing Initiative. And our purpose is to accelerate the transdisciplinary science and real-world application of consciousness and healing practices. I'm also an assistant professor um, in psychiatry at UC San Diego, and um, I lead some, some different groups and, uh, and educational groups in the Center for Integrative Medicine here at UC San Diego. So, Shamini, tell me a bit more about this Consciousness and Healing Institute, if you will. What, what do you do there? What is it about? What's the mission and purpose? Absolutely. Um, so the Consciousness and Healing Initiative is actually a little different um, than an institute. One of the things that I realized in my work, um, you know, so when I finished my graduate work, I then did my postdoc at UCLA and then worked as a senior scientist in um, another nonprofit organization. And what I came to realize is that if we really want to see the kinds of transformation that we absolutely need, um, such as certain transformations in healthcare. Um, we're really only going to be able to do that if we band together and utilize all of the talents that are among the different scientists, educators, healers, and organizations. And so what CHI is, CHI is short for the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, is essentially um, a collaborative backbone that brings together these different organizations to facilitate impact. And um, there are very tangible ways that we do this. So, for example, I mentioned hands-on healing one of the areas that um, a number of us are very interested in is this area that's called biofield science. And um, I'll, I can explain a little bit about what that means. It's kind of a newer term for folks. Some, some people have called this in the past things like energy medicine and, and other things. Um, we prefer the term biofield science because 
it really is um, looking at the effects of energy on different scales, on the cellular level, on the physiological level, and even on the spiritual level. So an example of, you know, some of the things that the Consciousness and Healing Initiative has done is to hold transdisciplinary think tank meetings in um, target areas such as biofield science. And we recently published um, a scientific special issue on this topic um, that is published in Global Advances in Health and Medicine. It just came out in November of uh, 2015. And in it, you'll see a real transdisciplinary view of the evidence behind these types of approaches, which include things like Reiki, healing touch, therapeutic touch, um, but also trying to understand how these things might be able to affect us on the physiological level. So we have papers in um, in the special issue from the physics perspective, from the East Asian philosophical perspective. Uh, what do we know about clinical studies? What do we know about studies that have been um, done in cells um, and in animals? Um, what do we know about how these are integrated into healthcare? How well are they integrated? How well are they not? So just to give you an example, that's one of the things we've been doing. Um, we're also really passionate about translating information. So, you know, one of the issues, and I, let me just back up for a minute. I mentioned, you know, the need to transform healthcare. And the reason I say that is because what I've come to realize as a, you know, a clinical health psychologist is that many of the major health crises that we're facing today um, including diabetes and even heart disease, are highly preventable. And when I sit with patients, one of the things that I've come to realize is that sometimes we really don't know um, our own power. We really don't have a sense of how deeply you know, our mind and our bodies are connected and how well we can actually manage our own health um, through integrative and holistic practices and through diet and exercise. We hear about these things, but sometimes when you don't understand the mechanisms, it's, it's really hard to wrap your mind around the fact that you really can heal yourself um, in many ways. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of channeling the uh, audience, and let's say either they've been having ongoing ailments, whether they're serious, you know, chronic or, um, or just sort of general, or they have somebody in their life who, who does, or they're worried that they may one day. Um, what do you want them to know in terms of whether it be healing themselves or preventative or understanding? I know um, I saw a video with you and Deepak Chopra talking about childhood trauma that I thought was really interesting and um, in how it stays in our energy field. Um, so the question can go a, a few different ways, but I'm just thinking about the average listener. Um, what do you wish that they knew about this? Thank you. That's a great question. And I mean, the first thing that I would say from my perspective is no illness is your fault. Um, I know that, you know, there are some folks that will talk about the psychological um, origins of illness and all of those things. Um, but the first thing that I would say is if you have any ideas that I've caused this to myself, um, it's my fault, I would invite this person to just release that kind of thinking, um, because it's not helpful. And honestly, it's not true. There are multiple causes to illness. Um, and of course, while some of those can be psychologically and you know, related in terms of stress and things like that, there are environmental reasons, there are genetic factors, there are many different things. Um, while that is all true, what we do understand from the science is that keeping a very healthy mind and body really helps us to deal with chronic illness if we have it, 
and often prevent illnesses before they start. And so it, wherever we are in the continuum, whether we're looking to prevent ourselves from getting diabetes because we know we have, you know, um, a family history of it, or we're, you know, we're struggling with something that had, we've just been diagnosed with, or we've been living with chronic illness, including cancer, there, there are always ways where you can improve your quality of life and often even your physiological health by engaging in very sensible practices that, in fact, really what they do is draw you closer to your inner self. Great. And so what are some of those? Well, you know, there are many. I mean, this is what I love. Um, we have, we're so blessed, especially in America, to be um, around such diversity in cultures. Um, so whether you're talking about prayer, whether you're talking about meditation, whether you're talking about yoga, tai chi, um, exercise, you know, all of these are different ways. They're, they're all different paths. And there really is no one right way. The right way is really the right, the way that resonates with you. It could be, and so that's the other thing I tell my patients a lot is trust yourself. If you're feeling guided to doing a kundalini yoga practice and your friends are doing Bikram or whatever, it's okay. You should follow your instincts. Um, your instincts are generally right. The most important thing, of course, is that you're doing something that you enjoy, that uplifts your spirit, um, that's being taught by um, a really great teacher who, you know, is a very grounded um, and, and good teacher that you resonate with. And that, you know, we practice. I mean, I think part of the issue with, uh, with many of us is that um, it's that consistency. Yeah. And something you just said made me think that the, the underbelly of all of this is the power of belief. Yes. Right. And so I, I just can't help but think whether, as you said, whether it be prayer or yoga or meditation or whatever, um, or, or actual, you know, Western medicine or diet or whatever it is, I, I think back to, um, have you read Dying to Be Me by um, Anita Morjani? You know, yeah. I've heard many great things about that book. Okay. So, so she had stage four cancer and she talks about, um, she, you know, had experiences in the US with her treatment, in Hong Kong, in India, you know, in all these different places, and they all had different things. And what she found was that she was most healthy when she was in India, not because that was the correct, right? But because everyone around her was aligned with this is what to do. Whereas when she was in the US, it was, you know, eat meat, don't eat meat, eat this, don't do that, just practice this, you know, and it was so, uh, she didn't know what to believe. And so, Ennio, can you tell us a bit about the power of belief on your healing? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the most fascinating topics, you know, in medicine today. And I think we're really just scratching the surface of what we understand by belief and what is called placebo. Um, I definitely have some opinions about this, and I'll just back up a little bit and explain to you um, how I've looked at this in the past scientifically. Um, so I mentioned I've looked at hands-on healing techniques. And as you can imagine, in the scientific academic world, these are really among some of the most woo-woo or controversial yeah. things that you can study. Yeah. Uh, most people just don't really believe that there you know, is something that is you know, called, quote, energy um, or prana or chi or any of those things. And um, they've always sort of said, well, if you see any effects of hands-on healing, it must be due to the power of placebo. And placebo is very, very powerful. So we actually did this study where we looked at hands-on healing techniques for fatigue in, in breast cancer survivors. And you might know fatigue is actually the number one complaint among um, cancer patients and survivors. And we still don't really have very good ways to treat it. 
Um, generally, you know, what I've heard from patients is their doctor will give them, uh, you know, an antidepressant or something like that and hope that it alters the chemical milieu in some way that they'll be able to have less fatigue. Um, so I was very interested in looking to see whether these types of hands-on healing techniques could impact fatigue, uh, because from, from the healer's perspective, what's happening um, when a patient has major fatigue you know, during the cancer process is that they're simply wiped out. They're wiped out from the cancer. They're wiped out from the treatment. Their vital energy has actually been lowered, and so they really need to be pumped up, so to speak. They have to have their vital energy restored, and then when it is, they can engage in these kinds of self-care practices that they used to do, like exercise and meditation. But then the question is, okay, well, is it, is it really an energetic kind of thing, or is it really more belief. And so when I did this study, I really not only did, you know, what's called a mock healing group. So we had three groups and one of them was, of course, the hands-on healing group. Another was what we called um, a touch alone group to the patients. We obviously didn't tell them they were getting a mock healing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they didn't know what group they were randomized to. But we, um, you know, we assess then the things like their relationship with the practitioner, how um, how connected they felt with the practitioner, because that's an aspect of placebo that's important, how much they believed that the treatment was helping them. We looked at all these factors, and of course, we compared the groups as well. We looked at the factors individually as predictors, and this was all compared to a waitlist control group who, of course, got nothing. That study, by the way, is published in the journal Cancer, um, which is widely read by oncologists um, and I believe is available um, freely today. What we found um, actually was that the hands-on healing group dramatically decreased fatigue in these breast cancer survivors um, to levels of the normative population, um, a huge you know, clinical impact. And the mock healing group also reduced it a bit. So what we deduced from that was that just simply lying down being touched, you know, connecting with a practitioner was powerful. And yet it didn't seem to be as powerful as the hands-on healing. There seemed to be something more, um, but it was a little bit difficult to understand what it was. Now, what was even more curious about this is that we looked at um, a hormonal indicator called uh, cortisol, which you've probably heard of. It's, you know, many people think of it as the stress hormone. What sometimes people... um, don't know is that cortisol, like many things in our body, follows a rhythm. And it turns out that rhythm of cortisol in the body is very important. Um, What we found was that actually the hands-on healing group regulated the rhythm of cortisol towards a healthy profile, whereas the mock group didn't show that effect. And of course, our weightless control group did not either. Um, And it wasn't predicted by any placebo factor. So while belief seems to play a role in the kinds of treatments that we get, it doesn't seem to, you know, predict the whole story when it comes to hands-on healing techniques. There's something that we don't understand fully about some of these um, practices like, you know, hands-on healing that are impacting us on a physiological level. So many of these studies, you know, they look at, they look at things like, are they, is it all placebo or is it not placebo? And what I think is really going on with belief is that belief sets the stage. It's, it's what in science we call it an interactive factor. So, um, you know, if, if your belief system is open to receiving a certain type of treatment, whether it's chemotherapy or whether it's hands-on healing, you're literally opening your field for the possibility of, of, of more positive impact. Got it, yeah. Which goes back to the, the idea of possibility, sort of quantum physics, that all possibilities exist at once. Exactly. And so it, it, our belief, if you will, is kind of a filter of that. 
So um, if we're filtered to, you know, to kind of shut something out, then it's not going to impact us as greatly. Um, but if we're, you know, if we're what we call openly skeptical, because, you know, the true meaning of the word skeptic is you're open to possibilities, you're open in a way. Um, so with a, with a true skeptic's mind, then you can observe the process. And then when you feel that alignment or that resonance with a particular um, type of practice, then you know that's the one for you. Hmm. Got it. That's great. But then, but so, so above and beyond that believing that's really interesting about this hands-on healing um, is that there is something happening that we cannot yet name or scientifically prove, if you will, that happens that is perhaps channeled through the practitioner or. That's correct. And what's been difficult in studies is that we haven't always been able to measure these you know, supposed emanations that are coming from the healers. And yet there are multiple studies now um, in cellular models as well, you know, that are well-controlled, carefully done studies with mock designs um, in animals and in cells that have been repeatedly showing these effects on the cellular level as well as with patients. So, of course, you know, we presume that in cell models and maybe in animals, there is no, quote, placebo effect, right? Right. And yet we're seeing these physiological effects. And this is what makes the whole area of biofield science so fascinating. And I really think is the next frontier, if you will, it's really the the extension of what we now call psychoneuroimmunology. Um, And so the field of bioelectromagnetics has really taken off in industry, where you're seeing things like, of course, transcranial magnetic stimulation for depression, and you're seeing pulsed electromagnetic field stimulation um, for bone healing and things like that. So, you know, these are folks that are are producing very low, you know, compared to things that have been done in the past, very low levels of electromagnetic radiation to stimulate healing in the body. And so the question is, are we capable of doing the same thing with our consciousness? You know, this makes me, I recently went to uh, a conference, the Science and Non-Duality Conference, um, and there was a woman who spoke who talks about tuning the human biofield. Eileen McCusick. Yes. yes. She's a okay. dear friend and colleague. Yes, she's oh, great. Can you tell, uh, in your words, because you probably know it better, I was blown away by her presentation. Um, would you mind sharing with our audience from your perspective what she does and what she's discovered and how it fits into all of this? It's so interesting you talk about that because I just spoke with Eileen yesterday. We're going to actually try to help her do a study based on um, what she does. But, you know, everything that she's reporting is from her own experience, right? So she actually hasn't done the studies yet, but she has been teaching workshops. And I've actually sat in on one of her workshops as well. So I can speak to it a little bit firsthand as well. Um, What she is essentially doing is using tuning forks to sense the biofield around the body. And because she uh, has been doing this for many, many years, Um, she's noticed some patterns around the biofield in the body and its relationship um, primarily with psychological issues and sometimes physical issues as well, like pain and other things. Um, And what it feels like, literally, so the person is lying on a table and she'll strike a tuning fork and kind of come in close to the body. And where there's a, quote, block, you literally feel it and you hear it. The sound changes in the tuning fork and um, and the literal if for those who are sensitive to you know feeling the uh, the magnetic aspects around the body, uh, you can actually feel a shift. And so you know then she goes through a process when she feels that where she generally talks to the person on the table, you know finds out if there's a particular issue that she's quote getting you know an intuitive hit on, um, and then she works with it. So it's it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And she shared, I mean, one of the things that helped give a visual to me was the rings on a tree. Uh, 
right? That on a tree trunk. And so that our biofield around us is like that. It's just these sort of um, waves, right? Going out. And I, I think she said, maybe you know better, our biofield is what, about eight feet outside of us or something like that? Yeah, many people say that. And, you know, Eileen, Eileen definitely has a somewhat unique perspective on the biofield. And as you talk with different healers, you'll, you'll hear some of the similarities and differences in the way that you perceive the biofield. But generally, um, most healers um, and healing schools will say that the biofield, um, and again, it depends on what aspect of the biofield you're talking about, right? Because there's the Earth's biofield. There's the, you know, electromagnetic radiation from the Earth that occurs, you know, through solar flares and other phenomena. Um, so there's that type of biofield. And then there's the biofield around cells where you can actually um, manipulate the electromagnetic aspects of a cell and um, and change its differentiation, right? That's also a biofield. The human biofield that Eileen is talking about seems to extend around the body you know, like you say, about eight feet or about the span of, of your arm, mm-hmm. it, generally speaking. But it can expand and it can and can contract um, in different ways. But, you know, it's interesting to talk about this. Again, one, from a scientific perspective, there's so much to do in terms of its measurement. Um, and it's so important because it really is likely this missing link between, you know, our minds, our consciousness and the effects on the body. And, you know, and all of this has been written about in, um, in many different um, whole, whole systems medicine approaches, like Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and Tibetan medicine. You have maps of these subtle energy channels, you know, that are in the thousands. Um, and, and yet the, all that information is really not very well explored from a Western scientific point of view. And that's what you're hoping to do with your initiative. Absolutely. We're going to start bridging these worlds. So, you know, we're not going to discount um, one type of model for another, but we're really looking to bridge these together to create, a, you know, a more complete picture of medicine. Now, um, one of the things that I've wondered about, um, so I recently had on the podcast a woman named Laura Lynn Jackson, who just wrote a book called The Light Between Us, and she's a psychic medium. She's phenomenal. It's now on the New York Times bestselling. She's really, really amazing. And one of the things she talks about is that she has understood from the other side is that there are multiple doorways to death, as she calls them, and that um, that when we come to this earth, we... Um, there are choices of when we decide to exit, right? Um, Almost like a train, you know, when we're going to get off. Um, The thing I've always been curious about healing and um, sort of the fate of when we come and when we go is, and it's a big question, but how, (laughs) so don't, I I get that. Um, But I'd be curious to hear your perspective on that, Um, you know, of when, of when you, is it the word like uh, release that it's time to go, you know, versus fight. Um, And I'm talking about more, you know, extreme further along of illnesses. What are your thoughts on that? You know, it's, that is such a profound question. And there's so many layers to it because um, when you're with someone that you love that is dying and you don't want them to leave, you know, there's that aspect, you know, when, um, the person is also deciding, you know, am I ready to stay or go? That's another aspect. And I think it's a deeply personal, personal decision. The one thing I could say about, you know, it, about healing is that, and you've probably heard this before, maybe many of your listeners have heard this before too, you know, healing is not curing. So when a healer works with, um, with a person, we're really working with their innermost will, their divine desire, 
Um, and so whether that means that, you know, we're helping facilitate a sense of peace and connection within them, it may be to leave and it may be to stay. Um, that's really up to divine will and, um, and up to the will of the person. So, you know, again, I, I'm a firm believer in resonance. I, I believe that, you know, as we clear ourselves and we clear our channel, um, we, it's really about trusting your intuitive knowing and listening to your guidance as to, you know, how to make that kind of decision about staying or leaving and how to, how to know if you're a caretaker, um, when it's time to let go versus when it's time to fight. And, 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 you know, that's all on the subtle level, but then, you know, if, if you're in that kind of situation where you're a caregiver, literally having the conversation, um, you know, with the person if possible is, is such a powerful thing. It is. And I think it sounds like this is a thread that is weaving throughout everything you're saying is that intuitive resonance. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I really feel like um, it's it's part of what we have unfortunately come to lose through, you know, the way our society is structured, the way healthcare is structured. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but generally my experiences with taking family members to the emergency room or something like that is just a complete loss of control, right? Yeah, um, it is. And it's fine. Sometimes you need to give up control. You've got to, you've got to have emergency surgery. You surrender and, you know, and surrender is a great thing, you know, yep. it needs to happen. Um, and yet sometimes, you know, there seem to be no answers when in fact there are answers, you know, you, p- people are told, oh, there's nothing we can do when in fact there's much that we can do. Um, and, you know, and a lot of that is trusting our intuition. Yeah. I think that's, that's been something that I've been so curious about, and obviously you have as well, is that, you know, I'll read all these books, like, for example, if I, you're here, you know, Eileen Speak, etc. And I think to myself, why isn't this in the mainstream? You know, why, why is this on the fringe when there are true examples of um, phenomenal healing? I think of um, Eric Pearl. Um, and I read his book. The name is escaping me right now, his book. Um, but it sounds like he has had incredible examples of hands-on healing. There are many. I mean, this is one of the reasons, too, why we started the Consciousness and Healing Initiative, because, you know, we're still, you know, even though we're blessed by all this diversity, you know, in thought and in knowledge, um, there's still a lot of judgment and fear around adopting different points of view when it comes to science um, in particular. And so what we find are areas like hands-on healing um, are grossly underfunded. You know, it's almost impossible, honestly, to get a grant to do a study in healing touch and things like that. Um, I know this very well because it's not only for me, but many of my colleagues who are tenured professors at major universities who have no problem getting NIH grants for other things, um, they have a very hard time getting funding for this work, and they have a very hard time publishing the good work that they do. To the point where I'll just tell you, uh, one of my colleagues who published uh, one of the studies that has been done in in cells and cancer cells, um, finally wrote a letter to the editor and said, "You know, you know, if I wrote, if I sent you this and it was looking at, you know, a general pharmaceutical intervention, you would have no trouble publishing it." And they admitted that that was true. So it's still very, you know, in the academic world, it's you know, it's. Uh, it's still considered very controversial. And and this is why Qi exists, because we really see the future of us being able to support this type of work so that in the next 10 years, we've really laid a very strong foundation for groups like the National Institutes of Health and others to really be able to fund this work. And we've seen this in meditation, you know, yes. 20, 20 plus years ago. Well, there was there was some you know great work in meditation done in the seventies. Then it sort of fell away, and then it wasn't that long ago that meditation was considered a very weird thing. Yes, 
know, and of course now it's mainstream. So it's, you know, it's important that those of us who are willing uh, to really step out and say, this is, this is the next frontier are willing to kind of put ourselves behind it and, um, and support that work. And is that because in your mind, and I imagine it's a blend, but is it because of the money of big pharmaceuticals? So for example, for these journals, for advertising in them, or like, is it, is it a financial thing? Okay. Well, there, there are a few things, right? So there's the, there's sort of the industry blocks and then there are the academic blocks. And sometimes those are interrelated for sure. But um, in, in terms of generally, you know, why do we not, why do we not have some integrative practices already, you know, well integrated into healthcare? It is a big mystery. It is a big question. Um, there, there is actually a, a decent amount of evidence for many of these integrative practices beyond hands-on healing, like, for example, meditation, chiropractic, yoga, nutrition, all these things. But the uptake is slow. It's very slow. Um, so it really takes time. And, you know, of course, there are certain industries that are going to be um, less profitable if people are, you know, sure. preventative practices and they're less sick. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's always going to be that influence. And so this is why it's important that, you know, this is really, Chi in, in many ways is a very, very much a grassroots effort where we're trying to facilitate that knowledge and disseminate that knowledge to others so that they can take better control of their health. Um, on that note, I wanted to mention one of the things that we do is um, we provide educational resources on our website, which is www.chi.is.is. So www.chi.is. And for example, we translate the evidence from systematic reviews. Um, we have the scientific papers up there. We have a lot of videos with thought leaders and scientists and healthcare practitioners in the field so that, you know, People, the general person can be educated, the doctor can be educated, the scientist can be educated as to, you know, what these kinds of practices are and how to use them. Yeah, I think that's so wonderful. Um, you know, I think about people I know who, I mean, cancer comes to mind just because it's so widespread, right? Um, and I think about if if I was diagnosed with cancer, what a tangled web it would be to get to find these alternative healing therapies. It would yeah. feel like a lot of work. I could be wrong about that, but I, it seems that way. And you're already dealing with, right, just so many emotions and financials. So you, the one point of contact you have would be your oncologist, um, right. right? And they would, most majority, I don't want to speak for all oncologists, because I think there are a lot that are really integrated, but uh, is it safe to say most would go the traditional route and then you trust them and, and then that's it? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we have found in the literature is that uh, in cancer, you know, in particular, but also in other types of medical situations, patients don't always tell their doctors what they're doing, right? So sometimes, and I think that speaks to what you said, most doctors in the U.S. still um, may not know about or may not care for what are called some of these integrative practices that stem from, you know, ancient healing systems from all around the world. Um, so what ends up happening is the patient's interested, but they're scared to tell their doctor. Um, then they may be off taking um, certain herbs or supplements and things and not telling their doctor. There can be interactions, negative, you yeah. know, drug-herb yeah. interactions. And so communication and open-mindedness and open-mindedness is really important. Great. Now, um, if our listeners, again, coming back to wherever they are on the continuum of healing, um, whether it be not at all, you know, not needing to heal anything at all to um, far along. If we were to give them some takeaways or steps um, 
to think about the healing process for themselves. Again, beginning with preventative and then moving on. What what advice would you, what, what are the takeaways that they could do or think about? Absolutely. I mean, so the first thing would be um, to find a practice that you like, um, that you connect with a mind body, say a mind body practice, a healing practice. You know, I think I've mentioned several um, and begin with that. Um, really begin with that. Go for a teacher that you really connect with. Um, go for a practice that you really connect with and see if you can commit even 10 minutes a day in the beginning to start, you know, whether it's meditation, yoga, tai chi, um, just that regular practice would be super important. And then, of course, you know, finding resources like the ones available on our website, um, www.chi.is is a good place to start to just even get familiar if you're, you know, really not familiar with the types of practices and, and the science behind them for those, you know, that that's important for. But on the personal level, you know, really just getting grounded, um, which literally means feeling your feet, you know, to begin your healing process. I mean, that's, it's almost in every practice, um, Mm. feeling your feet on the ground, connecting with the earth, um, you know, really paying attention to your cravings, you know, what kinds of things do you crave and what, which ones are quote healthy cravings and which ones aren't, you know, do you crave being out in nature? Do you crave sugar? Like just kind of taking an, an inventory. That's always the first step. That's great. And it's funny on craving nature versus sugar. Is sugar then bad? Well, um, often when we crave, and I, I will admit freely, I have been a sugar addict most of my life. So I <laughs> yeah, feel me very too. comfortable saying this. Um, what I have, and I'm vegan too. And what I notice is that um, if I go long stretches without eating during the day, um, which I often do when I'm kind of in the throes of work, I will start craving sugar. If, if I'm actually, you know, eating properly, especially in the morning, I'm getting my fruit, you know, I'm getting other things in often, you know, craving for sugar can be a craving for fruit, or it's just a craving for quick energy, because we've, you know, left ourselves um, way too starved during the day. Um, this is where, you know, really just, you know, I know it's a, it's a term everyone uses these days, but really being mindful of, um, of your eating and energy patterns is, is often a huge step. And yeah, absolutely. Sugar is not, <laughs> it's not a good thing for us. Yeah. It's funny. I also noticed the emotional um, part for particularly with sugar. Like for example, when I put, I have two young children and um, t- a lot of times bedtime can be very exhausting putting them to bed. Um, and so I notice as I put them to bed and I'm walking up the stairs to go back upstairs to you know work or watch TV or whatever, the craving for sugar hits me so strongly. And I'm have begun to be mindful that it's emotional. It's, um, you know, that was exhausting. I'm stressed. I need a reward. Yeah. You know? I'm with you a hundred percent. I have young right. children too. So I totally okay. get it. <laughs> right. And it's amazing when I started to notice that and be mindful of, wow. Okay. Just observe like, there it is. Wow. I am, it is hitting me so strong. Um, and then I started replacing it with, maybe more healthy things like, you know, watching a great TV drama first, you know, and then I paid attention. Okay, let me watch the TV drama to sort of soothe that part of me. And then do I crave the sugar still after? And usually I didn't. Um, so I, I thought that was really interesting that's, to notice. That's fabulous observation. It's coming back to that being mindful and and maybe it's it's that being curious about, okay, what is this right now? To your point is, do I just need sugar? Is it this emotional? And it's just being curious about it and you'll usually find the answer. 
Yeah. Yeah. It is. And not beating yourself up. If you've got to go reach for that bag full of chocolate once Oh, you know, sometimes we have those days, but really taking stock in our values is another huge thing. So once we kind of take an inventory of of ourselves, where we at, you know, what are our cravings, then it's about, you know, our deepest desires, what inspires us, what what brings us passion. And then when we look at our daily activities and, you know, what's, what's kind of aligned with those values and what's not, it's pretty easy to see, you know, where we can really begin the healing process. Because in fact, you know, what is, to me, you know, healing is really about bringing us closer to our own soul. That's how I see it. And so by doing that, you know, we have to know what it, what it is that our soul desires. All right. So I think you have, this has been wonderful. Thank you. You've given such great information about healing and, and, and for introducing everybody to this world from a scientific perspective and bridging these worlds. I mean, it was the first thing you said, bridging the worlds. And I think that was such a great representation of what you're doing. Well, thank you. It's really a pleasure to be speaking with you. Great. And again, so where can people find, um, find you, find out more information, get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have a Facebook page and I'm working on my own personal webpage. I will be um, doing a a number of speaking engagements this year around San Diego and other places in the country. Um, But for now, the best place to get in touch with me would be through our website, our Consciousness and Healing Initiative website, which is www.chi.is or chi.is. Great. And then you're also, you're on Facebook and you're on Twitter as well. I am. Yeah. And it's just my name, Shamini Jan. Perfect. And I'll go ahead and sync up in the show notes with all that information as well. Well, Shamini, thank you again so much for the great work you're doing and and keep it up. Thank you, Suzanne. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is Cosmos in You. And of course, at our website, cosmosinyou.com. Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.